Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's the Auto Sport Podcast. We examine the new cars from Mercedes, Ferrari, and McLaren and look ahead to pre season testing. Welcome to Autosport's top secret location, not too far from the Barcelona Formula One circuit, where testing will get underway on Monday. We're going to be bringing you huge amounts of coverage on autosport.com and in Autosport magazine from this test, and we're also going to be bringing you some some podcast coverage about goings-on. I'm your host, Ed Straw, and joining me to look ahead to the test and also to look at the cars that have been launched by Ferrari, Mercedes and McLaren since our last podcast, first I have Gary Anderson. Now, You've been here many times before, first test of a season. Does it bring back memories? Is it quite nice to be in the relatively relaxed state of doing the journalism rather than actually bolting the car together and hoping it works? Yeah, I suppose you could say I've still got fingernails right at the moment, but um, it is a it is a tense time because you know you put all your expectations. You know this this new car probably started to fire up your brain about beginning of July last year, so it's been a long time getting to this point with things sitting on the ground now and it's it's ready to go. All your hopes, all your wishes, all your plans. I mean, 
every year you try and make the car a bit lighter, a bit stiffer, a bit more downforce, a bit more efficient, all of that stuff that makes the car go that little bit quicker. But, you know, until you hit the track with it and until you get the driver's sort of feedback from it, the confidence it inspires into the driver, you never quite know whether you've achieved it. So, yeah, these are where, where uh, sort of nervous times, really. But um, you soon know very quickly. In the first few laps are the ones that the driver... If he fits into it very comfortably, you know, and just feels nice in the car and feels the car does the things he wants, then he's, he comes back with a bit of a smile on his face. If not, he can look forward to a, a tough old start to the season. I guess there must be a few nerves from you because obviously you've done your in-depth pieces on Autosport Plus looking at the cars. And there's always a few team personnel who like to have a have a bit of a chat to you about the things you may have said, usually the less complimentary things. Yeah, you know, it's, it's always difficult, isn't it? Because everybody puts their best effort into the cars. And, you know, they're, they're fairly sophisticated devices nowadays. You know, the, the aerodynamics and the understanding of the aerodynamics has become such a huge thing. It, it, all the years that we've been involved with it, aerodynamics still played a role. You know, the cars go through the airflow at different speeds and that, and that creates downforce, it creates drag, it creates forces on the car. We just didn't know quite as much about it, but the tools that the teams have nowadays allow them to look at it very, very closely and allow them to optimise all these bits and pieces on the cars. So we, I can look at them basically from pictures and, and looking at the real cars a bit better than pictures, but there's nothing... Um, there's nothing sort of magic about it. It's just about a lot of effort, a lot of work, a lot of understanding. And, you, you know, you have a, a philosophy within your design and trying to pursue that as far as possible. And so you see different things. And if you're, you know, if you're in the kitchen, you can't see much for, for getting on with cooking. But standing outside of it, looking in a little bit, sometimes you see a little bit more. And I've, I've saw a lot more things by being outside of Formula One than actually being on the cliff face. So some people get a little bit upset about me seeing some things, but I just see it as it is that's, that's my that's what I have to do well that's all you can do as a, as a journalist ultimately and my other guest is Glenn Freeman autosport.com editor now the, the first day of testing on Monday that's always a huge day in terms of website interest so it's always it's always exciting isn't it even in an evolutionary year we've seen most of the cars there's still a couple still to appear but it's a great sense of anticipation I imagine yeah, it's impossible not to be excited at this time of year, whether you're in working in the sport or you're a fan or you're in our position, kind of in the middle of the two. Uh, you talked about Gary having maybe no fingernails left when he worked in F1. I think that's a bit how we feel on autosport at this time of year, though, because this is our, our biggest week of the year and uh, it has to go well. So there's a lot of pressure on us, but we try to enjoy it as well because I, I think this is one of the coolest weeks of the year to be involved in F1. No, it's an exciting time. Just literally anything can happen. All the possibilities are still there on the table. So it's interesting to see how it goes. Now, Gary, the two big cars we've seen launched in the past few days have been the Ferrari and the Mercedes. Based on last season's form, those are the two we're really looking to to be in the championship fight. So we're hoping Red Bull might be there as well. But from what you've seen, is there enough in the Ferrari to really take the fight to Mercedes? Well, you know, to, first of all, to sort of explain overall how the car really works, I think you can take the front wing assembly, or what's in front of the front axle, that component, that whole assembly of front wing, the area behind the front wheels, in, in other words, in front of the side pods, and the diffuser. And those are the three major downforce producing devices that the teams can adapt, play with, change the concept, change the direction with it. You know, the rear wing itself is fairly well... Uh, mandatory. It's a two two element rear wing, that, and there's a certain size for it, height and width, and all that stuff. So you can't do much with that, to be honest. So those are the three big areas that can be different from car to car: front wing, barge board area, as we call it, and diffuser. Now, if you take the the front wing assembly um, on the Mercedes, uh, it's you know it's a very sophisticated device. It's, there's lots of elements there, um, lots of things doing different things. The multi element front wing. 
allows the, the, the front wing to sort of recover from airflow separation problems. If you, less elements you have, um, the, the bigger the losses whenever you get airflow separation. So the, you don't want big step losses, you want smaller losses. So the, the more elements you have, the better for that. The area in front of the front tires is about turning the airflow around the outside of the front tire. And Mercedes have got some very complicated shapes there. Ferrari, same sort of front wing, um, lots of elements, you know, so no big drama change between the two main assemblies of the front wing, but they're turning vanes in front of the front tyre that's on the front corner of the end plate are a bit, uh, they're very basic, let's put it that way. You can look at them, you can see exactly what they're doing, whereas in the Mercedes it's very, very complicated. You get into the bargeboard area where last year obviously Ferrari found this little bit of a loophole. They moved the side pods um, further back to get away from the front wheel and then one of their sort of side impact structures they put into part of their bargeboard mounting device. So they come up with a concept that basically allowed them to get the front wheel and the side pod further apart. Mercedes had a longer wheelbase. Now this year Mercedes continue with that longer wheelbase but the, the, com- the complexity of the bargeboard area on the Mercedes is, is second to none. You know you look at that and the detail is, is absolutely f- fantastic. Again on the Ferrari it's a bit it's a bit less sophisticated. There's less parts in there. Now, the, the airflow, you know, you want to do the same thing with it, even though your side pod concept's slightly different. The airflow still doesn't know that. It just wants the gap from the front wheel to the front of the side pod. So I think Ferrari are a little bit behind the, the ball in that area. Um, the diffusers of both of those cars we haven't seen much of, but I keep on saying in my columns about getting the, the diffuser to sort of talk to the low-pressure area behind the, the rear tyre, because if you can get the whole back of the car to work to help pull that airflow through underneath the car, you get more more downforce from it. Mercedes are pretty good at that. Ferrari tested it last year at the end of the season. I don't know what their car's got right now, but we'll soon see um, when testing starts on Monday. Um, so from my point of view, I think Ferrari started the season very strongly last year, but we've got to remember that Mercedes had a bit of a diva, as they called it themselves. So they didn't really understand their car at the beginning of the year. They couldn't quite get the best out of it. Um, but as soon as Mercedes got the, the ball rolling, um, they, they started to do a pretty strong job. And I think those 20 races of 2017 um, allowed them to understand the car a bit more. So they haven't gone off the beaten track with a new car, so there'll be just a continuation of that knowledge. Um, and I wasn't as impressed with the Ferrari pictures that I've seen um, as I expected to be. I thought I'd see more within the car. So um, it's down to testing. It's all about lap time, but we'll have to wait and see there. But for me, the car, the Ferrari, hasn't taken the same step as Mercedes have. I wonder if it's a bad sign for everybody that the Mercedes does look like it's stayed relatively similar in terms of concepts to last year. Because like Gary says, that suggests that over the course of last year, they did start to work out how to get that version of the car to work. So they haven't felt the need to tear it up, start again, copy Ferrari, copy Red Bull, or what McLaren are doing. They've clearly they've, they've spent some time. I know that a lot of the talk at the launch was about the key changes are around suspension, apparently, rather than so we're not we're not looking at a, a change in aerodynamic concept, which obviously brings a lot of risks with it. If you suddenly start to do something that you've seen on another car, you know aerodynamics are so complex now that it's not as you always say, Gary. It's not a case of bolt someone else's front wing on and you get a load more downforce. So I wonder if it's quite ominous actually that Mercedes have clearly gone away and gone right. The way we can make the operating window of this car bigger is perhaps through changes under the skin or changes to the suspension and that sort of thing. They don't need to sort of redraw the thing. And that makes that feels like an ominous sign to me. Well, from what I've seen in talking about suspension there, and I mean, Lewis Hamilton himself made a big, a big thing about it at the, at the release of the car. 
that the the suspension they've attacked the front suspension again from the pictures looks very very different um in how the geometry works and um it's one of those sort of very simple things that basically the the angle of the the pivot points on the outboard end of the wishbones um relative to how the contact patch on the tire sitting on the ground where that moves how it sweeps around in an arc and they've done something very different in that area from what i've seen in the past now again as i say this is from pictures not real life we'll have a look on monday and see how the, what the car really looks like but if they've got that right it's a it's quite a big step if it's something that they understand well enough to try to move the contact patch and try to change how the car loads the tire up it could be a major thing and especially we're going into a bit of an unknown with these new tires you know pirelli brought a new batch of compounds because last year's tires were a bit too hard and there wasn't big enough steps between the compounds and lots and lots of reasons but suspension is something that's been you know on the back burner for a long time to be honest because everybody's just focused on aerodynamics but you get to a certain point where a certain set of regulations and a certain set of areas on the car can create x downforce you know and you, and you can exploit it and you can find a you know tenth of a kilogram here and a tenth of a kilogram there i think that what mercedes will have done is to make sure that their aerodynamics are stable in other words the driver actually can feel the level there's no sort of real diffuser stalls and stuff that makes the car horrible to drive um because you can have loads and loads of downforce but it just gives up at a certain point in time and you, you don't want that you want to give the driver confidence and if you looked at the, the tires that we've got, you know, it's, the car sits in four black bits of rubber and you need those black bits of rubber to be, treat them as nicely as possible. You need them to warm up quickly for qualifying and you need to last as long as possible in the race. So the effort level going into the suspension on the Mercedes this year, I think, could be could be a dividend for them. But you have to get it right as well. So I'll have to wait and see if they've done that. A few people seem to be surprised that Mercedes didn't make big changes and go to a high rake, shorter wheelbase. But when you look at it, the results last year, they had pole position three quarters of the time. They won 12 races to Ferrari's five. So this idea that Mercedes needs to make big changes seems a little bit uh, of a fallacy. But the one interesting thing is what we have seen from those who've changed their car concept, what we've seen from the other cars, Mercedes is in a minority with that approach. More people seem to have followed the Ferrari approach with trying to cut back the side pods and integrating the the, uh, the the side impact structure, as you said. So is that something that makes you just think that maybe there is more ultimate potential there if other teams have chosen to go in that direction? Or is or is Mercedes just saying, look, we think this is the best this is the best compromise, so we're going to keep going with it. It's not just because that's already the direction they've gone down before. Um I think if you go from two thousand sixteen to two thousand seventeen what Mercedes done was adapt the new regulations. They were quite different in the you know the wider tires, wider cars, more downforce. But they adapted their car to what they thought was the right solution. If you keep changing your direction, it takes time to catch yourself up again. You know, every time you change the concept aerodynamically, you'll spend you know two or three months aerodynamic research and that before you get back to where you were. It might have more potential, but you won't get back there. And that's about how quickly quickly you can recover. So I think Mercedes were reluctant to throw away what they thought was their the good. And as I say, if they look closely at them, at, you know, getting consistency in aerodynamics as opposed to more 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 higher de- levels of downforce, I think consistency will give the driver more confidence. And then looking at the suspension because the tires are are everything. I think whenever Ferrari really and truthfully beat Mercedes last year, it was because Ferrari were better on the tires than the Mercedes, and that can be because of better consistent aerodynamics you know if the rear of the car is nervous on corner entry you're loading up the rear tire that bit more all the time so you're going to 
destroy the rear tire faster. So you just have to make sure that your your car is consistent and the, and the loads are consistent on the tires. So I think Mercedes have put a big effort into making sure that they recognise the deficits of last year's car and fix them, as opposed to changing direction and creating another set of deficits that takes another season to fix. So I, you know, if I was Mercedes, I'd have done exactly the same thing. At the end of last season, they had the fastest car. They won the two championships. They had more pole positions, more race wins, more everything. The uh, Ferrari, which was a shorter wheelbase than the Mercedes last year, was probably better at lower speed tracks. There isn't very many of them. So, you know, don't don't build your car around around one in three races. You know, build your car around one in the other 18 or something. And that's what Mercedes have done. Yeah, I, th- I think it's very easy you could be in Mercedes position, you could overthink it because if you, they got used to winning 18 or 19 races a year. And what did they win last year? 12 or something like that. Yeah, 12. So in comparison to the dominance they've had since 2014, that looks like a big step backwards. You think, Oh, we've got to do something. But as Gary says, they won both championships. You said they had the most pole positions. They still won more races than anyone else. And it was fundamentally the best car. So it'd be very easy. And I think, maybe a lot of fans and people talking about it have shown that over the winter to, to overthink the fact that they've just got more competition than they had before. But that's not a reason when you've just won both championships in the end, relatively convincingly, um, you shouldn't suddenly think, right, we've got to start again. We've got to go in the direction of all these cars that we've defeated. And I think it's because we'd all got so used to Mercedes never being beaten genuinely on pace that those races on the the tracks that did suit the Ferrari stand out to us. But as Gary says, fundamentally, you're talking about what Monaco, Hungary, Singapore, and then a few tracks where maybe the cars were quite even. And then still, over the balance of the season, the the Mercedes had the edge more times than not. Um, One question I had for Gary is obviously this is the second year of a regulation cycle. Is it quite common, do you think, that a lot of the teams, maybe the ones who didn't have as good a season start looking at what was going on at the front of the field and, and almost picking the direction they want to go in in terms of who they want to copy? Is that quite a common second-year phenomenon? Well, it's quite a common phenomenon that everybody looks. and you know Every team has a, its own photographer in the pit lane taking pictures of things, and we used to do the same thing. And what you do is you, you get your photographer as such to take a picture of your front-wing end plate and take a picture of the Ferrari and the Mercedes and whatever, and then you try and reproduce your front-wing end plate in detail from that picture. So then you can try and reproduce the Ferrari and the Mercedes or whatever in detail. Um, so you're looking at that constantly. It's not just because it's the second year. From race to race, you know, everybody's developments, you're looking at that and seeing what they've done. Because you have to use that as your, your base to, to say, hang on a minute or two, are we going the right direction here or are we going the wrong direction? Um, will the, the sort of grid close up a bit because of that? Well, it will, because I, I always relate it a bit like a ladder. You know, when you've got Mercedes probably one step from the top of the ladder, you've got Ferrari two steps from the top of the ladder, and you've got, taking last year's results, you've got Sauber on the bottom run of the ladder as such. So they got a lot further to go. Um, for smaller teams that, you know, could see their problems, then picking a concept and going with it, um, be it a Ferrari solution or the Mercedes solution, well, that's that's your choice. Logically, I think you would look at the Ferrari solution as being the better way of going because it doesn't incorporate the long wheelbase. But I think that some teams have actually gone the Ferrari solution and the long wheelbase. So they've sort of incorporated both. Um, it's a confusing thing because at the end of the day, it's about optimization of the car, not just the main, de- the big, the big picture. It's about optimizing all those little bits, and that's why I say I think if you look at the Mercedes, all those little bits are working really hard, and um, they really do 
you know, they move the airflow in such a way. If you take the barge board, for example, you could have a one-piece barge board and it would do X to the airflow. But they have a multiple-veined barge board with vortices coming off the top where the joints are and all that stuff. And they can move probably twice as much airflow with that and the lead the side board. And that's all great stuff. But when they get behind another car and the airflow turbulence makes it fall down, they also lose twice as much downforce. So you pay a price at some point in time. Um, out there in qualifying, one of that special... The more downforce you can create, the better it will be. But again, as I say, getting the race behind another car, and it's a similar thing. If you've got the car that's got the that's got the downforce for qualifying, you've got to qualify at the front with it. Because if you don't, and you're stuck in the middle of the pack, you know, because of errors or because of whatever, you're going to suffer because it is, it is worse in traffic. Let's have a look at the McLaren now. Lots of high hopes there. Switch from Honda to Renault engines after three very, very difficult years. Everyone's very excited about the orange McLaren, or papaya as we should call the colour. But Gary, you were you were quite positive about the car, and you're not somebody who's famous for automatically being positive about McLaren, despite the fact that you were there, of course. Thank you, Ed. Um, yeah, I mean, it's difficult, because last year, obviously, or the last three years, they've had the Honda engine. Now, the Honda hasn't had the, the power that they expected out of it. They took up a gamble going with Honda to try to be a works team with a works engine, because... You know, McLaren knew that if they had their Mercedes or they had the Ferrari or they had the Renault, they'd just be getting another engine from somebody. So they tried to go their own route, um, which is, you know, pat them on the back for that because you have to try sometimes. And in the past, it's worked quite well for them. But what I was critical of McLaren last year and the years before was I didn't think they ran their car the best way possible with an engine that wasn't producing the power. And, and I'm, I'm not saying that I know enough detail about it, but to me, you can, you can help the engine a little bit. In my days, very seldom do we ever have an engine that was as good at the, as the cars at the front. So what we pursued, really, was a car that was pretty efficient, um, that was reasonable to drive, that, that fairly consistent balance, so the driver could get on with driving it to the best possible. Now, it never had the ultimate grip, but it, what it did have was you know, the driver could exploit it to the maximum. And I think for I think um, McLaren had a bit of room to sort of run their car lighter and downforce to help the engine that little bit, but they never done it. And because of that, I was sort of critical of them last year. Now, if I look at the car this year, which they themselves said is a sort of you know an evolution of last year's car at the moment, I'm I'm pretty impressed. It's got a lot of good stuff on it. And as I say, if you take the the front wing to the to the barge board area, those two areas are major downforce producing devices, and. McLaren are up there with anybody on it. So Fernando Alonso last year saying we've got the best um, car in the pit lane, he, you know he could he, he could be right. You need the engine to be there as well. So now they've got the Renault engine, and they got Red Bull using the the same Renault engine, um, and they got the Renault Works team using the same Renault engine. They've got a measure. Um, so there is no hiding place now. But I have to say that the, the McLaren to me looked, I was pretty impressed. So it looks the, the right the right car, the right step. They say they've got a new package coming for uh, the first race in Australia. Um, be interesting to see. It's probably just a lot of optimization of small detail. Um, but I was impressed by the car. Yeah, definitely in there with the uh, with the Mercedes as far as the sophistication of the aerodynamic package. I think part of what makes the comparison with Red Bull this year so interesting for McLaren is what Gary's talking about there about McLaren maybe not doing having a compromise last year to make up for the lack of power. Red Bull throughout this engine cycle have kind of always gone down the, the opposite direction where they have tried to build low drag cars to compensate for for their engine deficit. So to have those those two teams now potentially go going in different directions but with the same engine, 
certainly we can't have McLaren bolting a load of downforce onto the car and then saying, oh, well, we're we're 18 k's down on the straight because you're going to have a Red Bull and you're going to have the worst Renault team potentially going for more of a compromise and saying, well, actually, the engine is capable of putting uh, this kind of number through a speed trap. So McLaren can't hide behind that anymore. The other thing I was curious to find out about, Gary, is how does it feel like McLaren have basically kept belief in the car concept that they had last year? Like you said, Fernando constantly said, I think this is the best car in the grid. Um, that was obviously partly sticking the knife into Honda at every opportunity. But it, do you get the impression that maybe they've got, they have got a belief in that car concept and they've kept that for this year rather than trying to reinvent the wheel? Yeah, again, it's a bit like Mercedes. I, I don't see anything wrong with the McLaren concept. As I say, last year I sort of was critical of them, mainly because I thought they could have run the car slightly different from what they did to help the Honda engine a little bit, to help their overall performance. You know, they know more about it than me. Maybe they couldn't. But I know that whenever you're doing simulation, um, the simulation, the tyres, the way they work, will always love downforce. And your simulation can lead you astray a little bit. Sometimes just, you know, you have to experiment a little bit at the track. So I think there was a few kilometres an hour. It's like Spa, for example. The first section of Spa is about speed. The last section of Spa is about speed. And the middle section is about downforce. They were quick in the, in the middle section, but they were... Bog slow in the first two sec- first section and the last section. They compromise is what I'm saying. Lose a few kilometres or two or three tenths of a second in the middle of the lap and, and gain it in the beginning and the end of the lap. And especially with the races the way they are nowadays, you know, you can't adjust the rear wing before the race starts. So you have to run your setup and qualifying. And the race is all about top speed. You know, you'll get nailed if you don't. With the DRS, you get passed. So Which easily. is what happened at Spa, wasn't it? Yeah, they couldn't yeah. maintain any track position because they were just getting breezed by on the straight. So it wasn't a raceable car that weekend. N- nobody's going to pass you through the middle section. So, you know, at the end of the day, you have to set the car up to suit what the race is. And at Spa was a typical example to me where they didn't set the car up yeah. correctly for the conditions we have currently, the race spec, spec that we have currently. So, as you say, they're going to have to make sure that this year they, d- they don't run the car uh, like that because Red Bull will will keep them uh, alert on it. But they, they need to, you know, the car concept itself and all the bits and pieces and that I think is is pretty good. Now, why would they want to change that right now? They believed in it last year, like Mercedes, let's keep this, let's get on with it, let's just package this Renault engine properly, make sure the, the mechanical part of the back of the car, the gearbox, the engine, the oil system, all that stuff is, is as good as possible, the cooling system. I mean, you know, you take the cooling system of a Formula One car and you're probably looking at something like, 15 to 20 percent of the airflow that the front hits the front of that car being used for cooling if you can if you can reduce that by one percent or two percent by just having efficient cooling then that gives you one percent or two percent airflow to use to give more downforce so the package that they could change was the cooling um, engine installation mechanical installation of the engine um, so they've concentrated on that and kept the optimize their dynamics around the same concept so they didn't have to scratch their head whenever they come out with a new with this car they can just get on with running it from a from a neutrals perspective and while people sometimes question that i think we're all neutrals really and we're just f1 fans at heart i think it'd be great for f1 if the mclaren is as good as they kept telling us it was last year um you know we, we all hope that the way red bull finished last season they're going to be closer to mercedes and ferrari keeping them honest and if we can get a fourth team in there as well, maybe even a fifth team knocking on the door, just a bit closer than the midfield was last year, I think that's that's really important. And it's, that's the key thing I'm looking for this week, really, is any sort of indications that we have got a few more teams just capable of kind of being in fifth and sixth position, maybe, but being close enough that when the big teams slip up, 
There are more teams in contention to pick up a podium here or there. Q3 will be a lot more interesting. And uh, I think that the, any indications we can get over the next couple of weeks here in Spain will be a really key pointers for what sort of season we're in for, really. I think for McLaren, it'll be good if they can avoid getting to the end of the first day of, of group testing with everybody writing off the season, which is what we had last year. They had to do about 17 power unit changes uh, on the first day last year. It was a catastrophe, but certainly McLaren's going to be in greater shape. But a lot depends on, on Renault. There's some big question marks to be answered there. As an engine supplier, you mean? Exactly, yes. Yeah. Sorry, rather than as a team. But the, the positive thing is, um, from what I'm told, they've done a lot more dyno running ahead of this season than what they've done in previous years. They've done 70,000-odd kilometres. They've got engines up to the mileage they need to achieve for the three engines per driver uh, regulations for this year. So they seem to be really focused on making sure it's reliable and running and then unlocking some of the performance that's in there because I think that's the thing they realise. They've got to be actually working and putting the miles in. And then they've they've kind of managed expectations saying it's going to be the second half of the year when the performance really comes. But at least if the if the Renault powered cars can rack up the miles, not be struggling, that, that gives them a, a foundation. Well, I think they, they were almost too ambitious towards the end of last year, weren't they? So Red Bull had that leap in competitiveness and Renault appeared to be, certainly in race trim, the engine seemed to be in the mix. But then we had a couple of weekends where there were so many failures and then they, they almost detuned the engines for the end, end of the season. So it just felt a bit from the outside like they maybe started to overreach. And I'd hope that all that work you're talking about they've been able to do on the dyno and in preparation for this year hopefully means they get a better balance where they can grab for some of that performance without having to completely sacrifice reliability. Well, the Renault and McLaren performance is going to be one of the interesting topics. What else are you looking forward to, Gary? over the next few days? Well, actually, you know, all the teams so far that we've seen have impressed me. I think it's nice to see Williams. They've had a sort of major philosophy change in their sort of uh, aerodynamic package. And they, they have, you know, followed others, the, the lead from others like Mercedes, for example, and Ferrari. It's about a combination of both there. Um, it, it's not necessarily always, you can't look at it always and just say this is going to be good until you see it hit the track. Um, but you have to hope that, you know, what they've done will be a step forward for them um, because they, they needed it. They've had a philosophy over the last few years where they've run the car as a, you know, it's always been pretty efficient. They've always had very good straight line speed. But these tyres like downforce. So, they, you know, you needed to find more downforce to get the tyre working. They've always had a problem in, in low speed tracks where they just couldn't get the car working very well. So they've they've taken a different direction. Um, and Paddy, Paddy Lowe there now, um, you know, he's obviously come from Mercedes with knowledge. It takes a bit of time to get that knowledge into the team and to get into the team. Um, so, you know, they look good to me. Again, the Sauber, you know, the Sauber last year, when we saw it here testing in Barcelona, the car was, was okay. It looked reasonably well balanced and, you know, it was all quite good, but it just didn't have the grip. You know, it just ran wider in the corners. It just, just didn't have the grip, basically. And again, they've had a, a redirection and their now involvement with Ferrari via the Alfa Romeo name is positive. So, as Glenn says, you know, we want to get those guys up a bit further. And, you know, nobody's going to just leapfrog Mercedes, Ferrari, that lot. Uh, coming from the back, you know, Sauber's not going to be sending them Paul in Australia. If they are, I hope I've got some money on them. But um, we're going to play that back to you if they are on. If <laughs> <laughs> we just want to see it all closing up a bit, so that as you say, whenever somebody gets it wrong, they pay a bigger price. Uh, and that's the important thing. And the race has become a bit more competitive. And if we can get, you know, if we get Mercedes, Ferrari, McLaren, Red Bull, and somebody else nipping at their heels you know, we can have some pretty exciting races. And that's what we all want. We just, we don't want to change the order. I don't want to see uh, cars lapping or passing each other three times a lap. 
But I want to look under the last five laps there is not known still who's going to win it because there's a bit of competition going on. So, you know, the closer we can get them all to be competitive with each other, the better. And this test hopefully will give us a bit of an indication. I think one of the other key parts of a race that will be influenced if we have a closer field is it will change the way the race plays out strategically for the leading cars. Last season in particular, the gap between the top three teams and the rest was so big that they would always develop a gap that they could all just drop into whenever they felt like it to make their pit stop. So their strategies were never compromised. There wasn't as much thinking on your feet required. If you've got McLarens, Renaults, maybe Force Indias, if they've had a good uh, winter, Williamses or whoever else can just can just interfere a bit more with their pit windows as well, then that will change the way the races play out. So it will just all of these things can potentially add more variables, more pressure on the top teams and it will just it will make each race play out differently and like gary says it will potentially give us races that are the narrative is sort of up in the air until much later on because people will have compromised their race early on to come back later too often in 2017 everyone was able to kind of do whatever they wanted or whatever their simulations were telling them was the ideal strategy so i'm hoping that a closer field also changes that element because now that we don't have the high degradation tires that everyone complained about so much the strategic variety has gone away quite a lot in F1 and that brings with it as many complaints as the high deg tyres did because suddenly it's too predictable and then nothing nothing changes. So if the field's closer, you bring some of those variables back anyway. Um, but certainly the team I'm most interested in um, is the Renault Works team, I think. Uh, we We were talking before we recorded this podcast about the fact that the launch version of the car that Gary had to run the rule over for Autosport <laughs> uh, last week. Um, I think the headline was it, they're either coy or undercooked. And Renault have since come out and said that, oh, that wasn't the real spec car. That was just to reveal the new livery. Gary correctly pointed out that it would have been nice of them to tell us that <laughs> at the time. Um, but it suggests that what, what we saw at the time was, was accurate. And I know that they've released an image from their filming day this weekend and I think Ed Nico Hulkenberg said that even that isn't the final version of the car. Is that right? So we're still waiting to see really what what they've come up with. But their their sort of their journey through 2017 was one of the really interesting sort of under the radar stories that effectively ended the season as the fourth fastest car. Um, so you know McLaren have got to be aware of that because I think four fastest is kind of their bare minimum target for this year. But I hope that what we see this week when Gary gets to have a proper closer look at the real car, I hope he's impressed because I think Renault are on the upward trajectory that they've been working towards since they came back as a works team. And I'd like to see a big step from them. They've got a great driver lineup, Hulkenberg and Sainz. And I'd like to see them sort of ruffle some feathers um, just behind the lead cars, really. Well, I have a bit of an advantage when it comes to, to the runners. I was in the circuit for the filming day with the uh, Infinity Engineering. You're allowed Academy. to say that. I can't say too much, but <laughs> I have had the advantage of at least seeing the car from a yeah. bit of distance. I mean, it's not a gigantic, gargantuan change from the from what we saw in the launch car. I think that was kind of a show car with quite a few bits on it, so there's still more to come. But I think the really positive thing for Renault was on filming days, you can only do 100 kilometres, so it's not a huge amount of, of running. But the car ran. They didn't have any big problems. There's always a sort of fault list and things they want to look into but there was nothing really seriously wrong there were no big engine problems everything worked as expected and they were finished in terms of the on-track stuff before one o'clock so that's very very positive for for runner and they at least feel like they've got a, a foundation to work from it's certainly not panic stations 
you know, every team is doing the same thing. Every team will have a lot of hand luggage going to Australia, new bits and pieces, because you're still optimising things. And it's a, the bolt-on bits, as I say. Um, those All that barge board assembly, most of that's you know, a bolt-on component. The front wing's a bolt-on component. The diffuser's a bit more elaborate because it's a you know, complete underfloor. But every team will be taking bits to, every day of these tests will be updated kits of things coming. Because you... you you know, you can't do everything at once. So you put your, your priorities into the things that you can't change quickly. And then there's other developments on the way. And as I say, they'll still be going out to, to Australia. There'll be bits arriving there on the Thursday before practice starts on the Friday for every team. So, you know, Renault, not the only team that's going to be doing that. But if you're too far away when you start and you're playing catch-up, yeah. you can only catch up so much because X amount of manpower, X amount of work hours can only do so much. So there's every team will have a development plan in place right now um, based on what they think the car needs. And these first initial tests with the car will confirm if that is the right direction or if the car's suddenly got some other problem popping up at the, at the track that they didn't realise from simulation or from analysis. So, interesting. The first test is always interesting for me. Yeah, is it interesting from a, a car parts point of view? Because I know when we used to have, say, four pre-season tests, a lot of the teams kept the cars very basic for the first test and they would used to say to us, this is basically a shakedown. But now they only have eight pre-season days. Do they need to be basically throwing bits at it from the start to get those early indications? Or could they cram a lot of that work into test two if test one goes smoothly in terms of being a shakedown almost? Um, it's one of those things where you want to, you have to spend some of the initial test um, making sure that the car works within that window, that there's not something strange going on. As I say, aerodynamic separation problems that you can model or simulate in the wind tunnel are always a bit different different at the track, but they're also different whenever the track temperature changes. A difference in a, in a front wing separation problem or a diffuser separation problem, things that are near the ground, from a ground temperature of 20 degrees to a ground temperature of 50, is horrendously different. And you've got to build that all in. You've got to know all that. You know, Try and make sure you understand how that would happen. And if somebody goes away from Barcelona testing where the temperatures, ambient temperature might be, you know, 10, 15 degrees could at be best. lower this week, yeah. couldn't it? But at hearing. best, 10 or 15 degrees and a track temperature at best, 20, 25 degrees, thinking that they can run the car in this little window and they know exactly within a millimetre where that diffuser is stalling will get a huge shock when they have a track with 40 degrees or 50 degrees. So it'll be a completely different beast. So it, it's about analysing it and making sure you know where things happen, how it's, how it's working. Um, and that your developments that you've got coming are actually there to, to go in line with what the car requires. Um, because the thing is, if you've got a problem with the car, it's very easy to make that problem bigger with the developments you're doing. Because you've got to this point now with a direction um, for your aerodynamic specification. And if you're just continuing that direction, there's a problem in it. The problem just escalates. So you want to make sure that you understand what you've got. Now, first test is all about that. So then the second test will be refining it a little bit. But, you know, the thing is with a good car, you can't hold it back. You know, whenever Jensen Button drove the Braun in 2009 or whatever it was for the first time, five laps and he's in with a big smile on his face because the car just feels, even leaving the pit lane, drivers, you know, know the feeling of the car. You can, If you load up the steering and the car just keeps loading up, you think, oh, that's okay. Whereas if it just washes into an understeer, you think, oh, now what do you do? And, that, and that's the sort of feeling that you have inside the car. You know, if you've ever driven one of these things or driven a racing car, you get those feelings so quickly um, that it just gives you that, you know, you know where you are bloody quickly. Five laps around around Barcelona here. Even with the car just doing the, the initial car research, you'll have a good clue as to where you are. And yet, 
on Monday evening when we speak to the drivers for the first time. They'll all tell us, too early to tell, no, no indications yet, we don't know. And of course, they all know already. They've all read the what to say to the press briefing. Those. You, know, you get a little bit more out of them when they're, when they're not on record. Now, one of the interesting things always to look at in pre-season testing is the, the lap time set. It's going to be maybe into the second test, even before we get a, a real feel for it. But last year, the quickest time of the test was an 18.634 seconds set on the super softs by Kimi Raikkonen. That was actually a, a chunk quicker than the, the pole time for the for the race itself, which is a 1 minute 19.149 seconds by Lewis Hamilton. But of course, that was using the, the softs. Now, the track's been resurfaced. I don't think the resurfacing itself has made a huge difference in terms of the, the grip, but what it has done is eliminate the bumps. And that's easily that that's reckoned to be finding around a second maybe a little bit more certainly from what i could see on yeah, it'd that become run. a very bumpy track hadn't it? exactly yeah certainly yeah. from the runo filming that i could see i could watch from the top of the pit building and you could see that there's quite a big bump into turn one uh over the past few years and that that certainly seems to have been gone which was one of the main reasons for the resurfacing because particularly the moto gp riders had, had complained about it so we should see a little bit more from the circuit plus the step forward from the car so what, what sort of lap times are you looking for gary in these conditions, on a decent day, if I get decent weather, um, I would be very... If they did 18.6 last year, I would be very disappointed if they didn't knock on at the 16s. You know, 16.8, 16.9. Because last year was a new set of regulations, um, and, you know, the cars should have got better. Now, the reason of the, the lap time being worse here for the for the Grand Prix than it was in testing is always the same reason. Yes, the tyre was a step harder. However, the temperature goes up. And you lose a, a load of grip, especially turn three, that long, fast right-hander. You lose a load of grip through there when the temperature's higher. So the winter testing can be looked at fairly much in line with winter testing. But you do need a decent day. You need, you know, the sort of 14, 15, 16 degrees ambient, 25-degree track temperature. That's okay to set a decent lap time. It'll never be the same when you come back for the Grand Prix because it'll be 25, 27, 28 degrees ambient and 45, 50-degree track temperature. So it will be different. But... Um, I think the the big thing with the circuit being resurfaced is, as you say, the bumps. These cars break at like 5, 6G, and they have done for quite a few years. And what happens is in the braking area, down to turn 1, down to turn 10, they move the surface, and the surface just builds up these little ruts. So the braking area is the worst area for the bumps because it's just got this ripple, I suppose you might call it. And that's what the MotoGP guys didn't like, the fact that one there wouldn't you know, tip the bike into the corner and things bouncing around all over the place. And, and the MotoGP bike, it's, it's you and a... You know, three millimeters of leather or something, and I think you sort of got to respect that. But it will help the Formula One cars because they will again the same thing. You know, if the car's bouncing on the way into the corner on the brakes, then it does disturb the the tire contact path. So it will be faster because of that. But also the circuit. You know, sometimes a new surface can be oily, so it gets slippery because of that. Um, sometimes a new surface can be really grippy. Um, I've said a man in my columns many years ago we had Magni Kerr was resurfaced and we went there with Formula Three Thousand car, and it was great in the dry, but in the wet. You, you could not drive. Turn one at Mindy Curl, the left-hander, you went into that corner, normally flat. In the wet, you went into it at 50 kilometres and you spun. It just, the oil just in the water just seemed to mix. And it was horrible and they had to resurface it again. So we learned a lot about surfaces since then, I suppose, and Barcelona won't make that mistake. But um, it can affect the cars in, in different ways. I'm sure it will be faster, though. Did that manicure service that you're talking about, when it was wet, did it almost have that glass-like look to it? Because... My my racing experience doesn't go much further than a, a karting uh, for a decade, but I remember going to Clay Pigeon, Jensen Button's old uh, stomping ground uh, in the southwest, and I went there once, and it it chucked it down 
And yeah, the track was brilliant in the dry, but when we drove in the wet, it, it, it was impossible. It's, it's the same thing you're describing. And it just, it had this weird sheen to it where you looked across it and you're thinking, is that, is that ice? Is it glass? Like, it can't be water. Where's it all going? And I, I found that utterly baffling. But is that, is that a common sort of new or smooth surface problem in the rain? Um, yes, I think it is. I mean, the, the problem is whether you make it porous or whether you have a, a, a rough surface and the water lies in it. You know, Magna Curve, when they changed it for being a circuit you couldn't drive on in the wet, they actually went the other way completely. And you could you could go out and, on slick tyres in, in the wet further than you could do any other track. And I mean, we've seen that a few years with the Formula 1 cars, you know, people doing a very good job. RF used to have that as well, didn't it? Yeah, you, you could, could go much further. You bite out yeah. of the surface. A, if you long you keep the temperature in the tyre, you, you just, you know, you could really run it a lot further. But, you know, I come from uh, Kirkiston and, uh, and we never had a smooth surface at Kirkiston. <laughs> so uh, it never rains in Ireland anyway. I presume Kirkiston was probably just a dirt track when you were hanging around that area. Talking about the Ireland, Northern Ireland's famous you know, number one racetrack, come on. No, no, so it is a fine facility, a fine facility. But it is true, you know, low grip, Danny Ricciardo, when he had his uh, had his off at Silverstone in, in the wet at, at Luffield, and probably had a bit of a, got a bit greedy on the throttle and looped it around her on those slow trips across the uh, across the grass and slowly into the barriers. And, uh, and there was quite a it. few bits by the sounds of it as well, didn't he? Even if it was a low-speed accident, he'd, it was a low-speed accident where he managed to hit quite a few things. You certainly don't slow down much across uh, across damp grass, no, even when true. you're uh, at low speed. So it's, it's going to be interesting. And there does seem to be a chance we may see a little bit of uh, moisture over the coming days. So that's all from us for today. Remember to follow all of our coverage. We're going to have loads and loads of stuff on on autosport.com. Our live coverage, minute-by-minute updates. We'll also have uh, expert analysis and, and comment dropping into that, that live feed. We'll have all the news, the end-of-day reports. Of course, Gary Anderson's technical insights and analysis. We'll have some uh, longer features that go in the plus subscriber area as well. So there's going to be huge amounts to talk about. There's always there's always storylines, no matter how no matter how much people might think this isn't going to be an exciting season because nothing's changed. It always is. There's always questions to be answered, and there's going to be winners and losers in testing very early on. It's going to be interesting to talk about it. So remember to check out our coverage. Also check out Autosport magazine. The current issue that's available has got technical analysis of the first bunch of cars we saw released, and we'll also be out on Thursday with analysis of the rest of the cards and also some early coverage from testing so remember to keep an eye out for that we'll also bring you some podcast coverage over the coming days about goings on and let you know who's looking hot and who's not so thanks very much for joining us and thanks very much to Glenn Freeman and Gary Anderson we'll be back soon with another Autosport podcast Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com forward slash Trilo Music. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Sports Social Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.